Let's take the Word of God and open it to the Gospel of Matthew and the 26th chapter and find there a reference to Judas Iscariot from the Lord Jesus Christ that I hope will set our direction for a few minutes to think about this aspect of his road to the cross to die for us so that we can rightly and fully remember his death until he comes, because this is part of it. We are expressly told that we are to remember his death until he comes in 1 Corinthians 11.26, and this is part of that, so let us consider it for a few minutes. You may never have heard a sermon about Judas, and yet there's many verses in the Bible about him. And I want us to consider the grief that the Lord Jesus Christ went through having this man near him. And I want you to see the holy hatred from heaven for this wretch that is in hell where he belongs. And let us be humbled by the ferocity of Scripture against those who mind earthly things and thus make themselves enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to betray him with a kiss. All you have to do is flirt with his enemy of the world, and you are like Judas. You are an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, there are many verses in this chapter about him, and in the following, but I want the 24th verse. Matthew 26, 24. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Jesus Christ is speaking of himself and he says, I'm going to the cross as it is written of me to die for the sins of his people. But one of the ways that he's going to get there is by the betrayal of a close friend. And Jesus pronounces woe on this man right in the verse. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the rulers of the Jews in the absence of the multitudes. The rulers of the Jews were afraid to touch Jesus when the common people were around in Mass because they perceived him to be a prophet and were not going to put up with him being violently or unjustly treated. And Jesus goes on to say it had been good for that man if he had not been born. Since we're considering the Lord's table, let us consider this part of our Lord's death. Let us consider the betrayal of Jesus by Judas as part of his crucifixion and death for us to remember. And if you've had a personal enemy around you that you knew hated you and that that you knew thought differently than you and you had to, for whatever reason, in company with them, maybe you had to work with them or whatever, maybe they were in your family. If that be the case, then you should know just a little tiny inkling of what the Lord Jesus Christ went through, fully knowing this man's thoughts his character, his intentions, and his future every second that he was ever around him. 
Anytime this man ever hugged Jesus or thanked Jesus for anything that they did naturally, Jesus Christ fully knew his thoughts, fully knew his ambitions, his sins, and what he was going to do in the future. That would be a burden you and I could hardly bear compared to the Lord Jesus Christ doing it with perfect knowledge for three and a half years. Let's remember that as we come to the Lord's table. Let's consider the ferocious vengeance of God against this wicked man for his betrayal of God's Son. Let's consider how we can, through minding earthly things and other sins, neglect Jesus to our own damnation, as 1 Corinthians 11 describes it. We're not going to consider everything there is to know about Judas, but we're going to focus on his role against the Lord Jesus. We need to remember that Jesus, when he went to the cross for us, suffered physically. But he also suffered non-physically. He suffered in emotional ways that are beyond the physical realm. He also suffered for us spiritually by a conflict against his soul by the bulls of Bashan and the gaping lions of the devil world that were around him. And he suffered divinely in separation from God in heaven, his own father. There are these different degrees and different aspects and different compartments of suffering that Jesus went through under the wrath of God for our sins. And one aspect that we want to think about today is this enemy among his own twelve chosen apostles. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We know nothing about Judas before he appears in the list of the apostles. When we come to Matthew chapter 10, I read to you the first ten verses. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples... He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James, the son of Elpheus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And like I said, we're not going to study every aspect about Judas. We're not going to look at the definition of Iscariot and that he was Simon's son or whatever Simon Iscariot was his father. There's other things in the Bible we can know. We want to just note a few historical facts first. He was in the Lord's twelve chosen disciples whom he named apostles. Jesus knew him from the beginning as Jesus knew everything from the beginning. He knew what was in the heart of man and he knew what was in the heart of Judas Iscariot. We're thankful that Jesus Christ knows our heart if our hearts... Delight in the law of God after the inward man. Because then the Lord Jesus Christ can see that delight that is there, recognize the weakness of our flesh, and have mercy upon us. But in the case of Judas Iscariot, there was no delight in the law of God after the inward man. He did not have a renewed portion. 
He was an enemy of God and of Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus chose him that Scripture might be fulfilled because there were numerous prophecies pertaining to one of the chosen friends, apostles of Jesus, that would betray him. And he fulfilled all Scripture, though for three and a half years it would have been of tormental, tormenting consequence to each of us to have had to go through life with this man so close at hand. Look at John chapter 6, so that I can show you that Jesus knew about this man before he betrayed him. John chapter 6. Jesus knew every detail of Judas's heart, his life, and his future before he ever chose him to be an apostle. I quoted these verses earlier to you today. In verse 66, it tells us that many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him because of the hard preaching of John chapter 6 and the hard sayings that are in it. Then Peter said, will you go away also in verse 67 to the 12? Simon Peter answered in verses 68 and 69, declaring that there was nowhere else to go but to Jesus. And then Jesus says in verse 70, have not I chosen you 12? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. See, Jesus knew as early as John 6 that Judas was a devil. Now, Judas was a human, but Judas was so much under the power and delusion and deception of the devil that Jesus just called him the devil. Like when Jesus once spoke to Peter, but this is different. Satan was influencing Peter for a short while. The devil influenced Judas for as long as we can read about him in Scripture. Jesus once said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. But here he calls him a devil, because he was influenced by the devil, and he didn't change under his influence of the devil. Peter repented of his frequent impulsiveness and saying things that were contrary to the path of our Lord to the cross. Let's turn now to John chapter 12. After Jesus calls him a devil, there is an event that occurs that further exposes the character of Judas to us. John chapter 12 and verse 6. Let me, let me read verses 1 through 6. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, which he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, and bear what was put therein. 
This shows what the love of money can do. The first aspect of the love of money is right here. The second aspect of the love of money that we see in Judas's life is his willingness to betray the Son of God for 30 lousy pieces of silver. But here, it's to deny the Lord Jesus Christ honor and glory being given to him by one who loved him dearly. Mary loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus rebukes Judas right here in the context. But let's first of all see his character coming out of this man. He didn't care about the poor. The poor didn't get all the money that was put in the bag. The Lord Jesus Christ healing men, raising them from the dead, healing those from the brink of death, healing those that were lame or blind or halt or dumb from their mother's womb, you can imagine that there were some decent contributions made to the twelve apostles. And they generally gave to the poor. But Judas was a thief. He stole and took what was not his. He wasn't willing or able to work for it. He wanted to take what other people had worked for and take it from them and use it for his own advantage. And yet he would open his mouth because he didn't want that 300 pence wasted, in his opinion, on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted it put in the bag where he could take his 100 pence and then pretend he cared about the poor with the other 200 pence. And he could pretend quite well. Because in the end, they did not know that it was Judas Iscariot that would betray the Lord. Let there be a sober warning in every one of us. Never to object about the use of money in the Lord's business, in the Lord's kingdom, or for the Lord's people, or for the Lord's poor. Or you end up showing that you have a heart like Judas. We don't care about your money management abilities. And we don't care about your money management thoughts. And we don't care about your thoughts that align themselves with thieves and with Judas. We want to be generous. And we want to be generous for the things of the Lord. And we want to be generous toward the poor of the Lord. And we want to use the funds well in that way. We want to be like Mary. We don't want to be like Martha. And we don't want to be like Judas. We want to be like Mary. And if we can spend something costly at the feet of Jesus Christ, if we can have a fatted calf feast, if we can spend extra money on a meal that is not necessary, because a pound of spikenard was not necessary, but it was the generosity of a woman that had been forgiven great sins who loved greatly. And we want to be like that. So we want to cut off in our own hearts, and we want to cut off in anyone else's mouth any thoughts of criticism about the way we do things for the glory of God. You can never waste money toward God's glory. If that's true, then David was the biggest waster of all. He gathered with all his might to build a house that was exceeding magnificent to the Lord. But look at what Jesus, how Jesus responded in verse 7. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Let's just stop there for a minute. You know, there, every man has, char- has a character. That's, that's the most important part of him. We don't care about his intellect, and we don't care about his physical attributes, because neither of those are important. It's the character. And there's two people here. One's Judas, one's Mary. And the character of Mary, though she's a woman and Judas is a man, is infinitely superior to the character of Judas. Judas doesn't want to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Mary does. And that is the greatest divider among men. Those that love the Lord Jesus Christ and those that don't. 
and yet they creep into close, tight-knit assemblies like the twelve apostles. And yet here comes a woman that wasn't chosen to be an apostle, and yet she shows a character far superior to Judas Iscariot. We always want to measure by these kind of comparisons. Now remember there was Mary and Martha. Of the two sisters, Mary was superior to Martha. Martha was cumbered about with much care and didn't want to spend personal time in personal fellowship with the Lord, so Mary was her superior. Here's Mary honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, showing her superiority to Judas. And every decision we make, every decision we make every day, we choose to align ourselves with Martha or Judas, or we choose to align ourselves by our character and our commitment with Mary. And here's what Jesus Christ says when anyone tries to touch those who love him. Let her alone. You don't want my translation. Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. You're always going to have poor people around. You can give to the poor anytime you want to. But I'm, I'm to die soon, very soon by John chapter 12, just a few hours away. And she's done this against my burial. She's anointed me ahead of time for me going to my death and to my burial. Thank you, Lord, for these passages of Scripture that show us the difference in character. And I hope that we want to be like Mary and not like Judas. We want to be like Mary and not like her sister, Martha. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 26. When we compare the Gospels, it appears quite strongly that this rebuke of Judas by Jesus is what pushed him over the edge as far as being willing to take 30 lousy pieces of silver to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to look at all four Gospels. In John, it didn't go on to describe what happened right then. It does in Matthew and Mark. And here we'll read it in Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, verse 10. Now Judas, according to Matthew's account, had provoked other disciples to be indignant about it as well. Obviously they didn't know he was a liar. Obviously they didn't know he was a thief. Because they didn't even recognize him at the very last supper. But it says in verse 8, When his disciples saw it, that is Mary's gift, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. It's good to waste when the object of the waste is holy, like the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no waste. I'm just using that word because that is what hard-hearted Scrooges who have no generosity in their heart toward God or men think. And we don't want to be like that. The, the liberal soul shall be treated liberally, the Bible teaches. I'm quoting from the book of Isaiah, not from Galatians chapter 6. And the curlish soul shall be treated curlishly by the Lord. It's your choice. There is that 
scattereth, but it tendeth to increase, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. And it's, it's a blessing to watch that in action. Verse 11, For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Now how, that is the spirit of Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This little act that you think is wasteful, that you think is trite, that you think is unimportant, is so good and so valuable, I'm going to make sure that Mary is spoken about throughout the world for the last 2,000 years. Does that tell you the importance of the stress I was just laying on the liberal soul shall be treated liberally? And to waste something for a holy end is a good thing. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And Mary was so affected. She was zealously affected. But notice what we find immediately in the context. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. And you can read this connection in Matthew and Mark as well. Where you can see that when Jesus rebuked Judas, we read it first in John, that the response was the opposite of what it should have been. The response should have been the confession of sin and repentance for having such a hard-hearted attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. There should have been confession and repentance for being a thief. There should have been confession and repentance and coming clean with the Lord Jesus Christ about all the deception and thievery and stealing that had gone on. There should have been confession and repentance for the lie that he cared about the poor. He should have come clean with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't. Instead, it angered him and the devil used it to provoke him to go to the chief priests. 30 pieces of silver. The price of a common slave. Look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now we are just hours before the crucifixion. And Jesus is in prayer to his father. Which we studied about a year and a half ago. And here's what Jesus has to say about Judas. Father. John 17:12 While I was with them in the world I kept them in thy name those that thou gavest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled Jesus calls Judas and names him the son of perdition which is a name also given to the man of sin or what we call the antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the word perdition means judgment or damnation. He's the son of judgment. He lives a life worthy of being judged, and he will end up in judgment. Just like we were by nature the children of wrath, son of perdition is, is a single person, children of wrath, meaning God's wrath is upon us by the sins of our first natures from our first births. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. Jesus would refer to the Jews sometimes as the children of the devil or the children of wrath. And so son of perdition means son of judgment. He's heading to judgment. Perdition is judgment. Perdition is damnation. Jesus calls them that in his prayer as he tells the Lord, These other eleven that you've given me, I have kept them. I have kept them in the faith. I have kept them in their office. I have not kept Judas Iscariot in the faith nor in his office because he's the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. The only reason I have not put forth my power to keep Judas is because the scriptures did not tell me to do so. Now, he's been told to keep us by his power in an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. And we should take great delight in that. And he didn't lose any that had been committed to him by the Father, except the one that had been committed to him under a condition that he fulfilled the scriptures, and that was to lose him, because he was a devil. You know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. That Judas, knowing where Jesus went in private to pray, was able to bring a large angry mob from the high priest into that garden to find Jesus alone. And that's the passage that most people are familiar with. And so I'm going to pass over it. Because the main thing I want us to remember is not just this man approaching him and showing some of the customs of the Jews and the warmth of the friendship that existed among the twelve apostles and kissing him, which is horrible enough given the man's intentions for 30 lousy pieces of silver, but I want you to think upon the fact that that moment that would have been very grievous to us, Jesus knew about his whole life. And yet he went to the cross in perfect obedience of fulfilling all scriptures, including this personal enemy that he had. Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. What I'm about to read to you should teach us two things, primarily. And and I'll summarize these at the end. Men who hate Jesus Christ in the name of religion have the most hypocritical religion conceivable. We'll see it in just a moment. Second, when you allow the devil a place in your life and he lies to you and tells you it's going to be to your advantage, it is going to destroy you and tear you up from the inside out physically and or emotionally. He is a destroyer by both of his names in Hebrew and Greek. Abaddon and Apollyon. They both mean the same thing, a destroyer. And I want you to see what happens to someone who chases the world under the influence of the devil looking for pleasure. It is not found. Not only can we agree with Moses that it's the pleasures of sin for a season only, but we must also recognize in Scripture that sin and the devil behind it is a liar because he wants to torment everyone else just like he's going to be tormented. Sin is horrific. Watch. Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, 
which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Friends in sin don't last long, do they? And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. You say, Judas repented. Yeah, yeah, he did, right. So did Esau. Esau sought repentance with great zeal, but he wasn't forgiven. So did the Israelites on the edge of Canaan. Do you remember when God smote the ten spies and they died? Then the people rose up and said, we'll take the land. We have sinned against the Lord. Did it work? Not at all. Was this real repentance? This was repentance to the chief priests. Why didn't he run to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent? A man who's repenting doesn't go and commit suicide. Not only did he have the sins of lying and stealing and betraying Jesus Christ, he added to it the sin of murder. That's no real repentance. That's no evidence of anything. That's the evidence of the devil in a man not letting him have any comfort at all. That is the combination of conscience, old man the flesh, and the devil destroying a man from the inside out. No peace. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. I want you to notice that the hypocrites in the Jews' religion have always, and oh, this is a statement that would get me in trouble with the Anti-Defamation League, but the Jews and their love of money show their hypocrisy whenever money is involved. Notice, we cannot put this 30 pieces of silver back into the treasury because it's the price of blood. So we've got to spend it somehow. But they just killed a man and shed his blood. They had his blood dripping all over their hands, but they didn't want to do anything to the money that was involved. You say, that sounds so twisted. Can you back that up with further scripture? Jesus told the Jews and condemned them for this, that if a man were to swear by the temple, he's innocent if he doesn't keep his oath. But if he swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound to keep his oath. Do you remember reading that? That is how corrupt these religious hypocrites were in God's own religion. Now, how much peace and comfort did Judas have? He didn't have his 30 pieces of silver, and he went out and hanged himself. Do you know how desperate you have to be to go commit suicide? And anyone that can think about suicide and not think that it takes some level of desperation, you just show that you're already insane. He went out and committed suicide. But the Bible tells us that he committed suicide in a hurried way. He was so intent on getting the job over with that as he tied off his neck in a noose attached to some object, he dove off a cliff head first, the Bible tells us, 
and the snapping jerk on his body disemboweled him. So that his bowels were dashed all over the field, that the high priest then went and took the 30 pieces of silver, bought the field, buried Judas, so that we can read about that in Acts chapter 1, as Peter recounts to the gathered apostles what had happened to their fellow apostle. These things I want you to consider in a side lesson that we get out of this study of Judas Iscariot in what sin will lead to eventually. Judas thought, well, I'll betray him. I'll show him. He just rebuked me in front of a woman. He just rebuked me in front of the other apostles. I'll show him and I'll get 30 pieces of silver for doing it. Divine justice laughs last and it always laughs best. His bowels were dashed across the field, and he didn't have his 30 pieces of silver. And he went there with great consternation and disgust of mind. In Acts chapter 1, let's turn there and read a few verses. Acts chapter 1. I love Acts chapter 1, and I hope every repentant sinner in this room loves Acts chapter 1. We have 11 apostles. The brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ have been converted by his resurrection from the dead. And there's some women. Now there's there's two great sinners in the band of the apostles. One's named Judas and one's named Peter. And this little setting here is precious to forgiven sinners. The word repentance may flow off our lips easily, but it's not so easily generated in our hearts. But when it is, it is a gift from God, and it is a precious gift. True repentance. Second Corinthians 7, 10, 11 tells us there's a sorrow of the world that's usually sorrow that you got caught, that your plans didn't work out just as you thought they would. But verse 11 of Second Corinthians 7, that there is a godly sorrow that works repentance, Not to be repented of. It just keeps on giving in zeal and love toward righteousness and toward the Lord. Now we've got this great sinner, Judas. He's buried. He's dashed his bowels across the field. But we've got another great sinner, Peter. He has repented and he leads the other ten apostles in the middle between these two great sinners. Because repentance makes all the difference in the world. Any sin can be repented of. But it's godly sorrow that works repentance to salvation, according to 2 Corinthians 7.11. Verse 15, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man, Peter, is speaking to an assembly of 120 about Judas. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, the 30 pieces of silver used by the high priest to that end, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, a seldoma. That is to say, the field of blood. Peter, in verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate. Brethren, remember the words, 
Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishop prick, let another take. And then Peter goes on to explain the qualifications needed to be an apostle, and how they settled on two, then they cast lots for the Lord to pick one of the two, and Matthias took Judas's place and was numbered with the eleven apostles. What a, what a wonderful difference. Peter, Peter saw the Lord Jesus Christ and they exchanged a glance. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter did not go hang himself. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And when Peter heard the words that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was missing, he ran to go find out what was going on with his Lord. He was still in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and went to go find him. And that's the difference among sinners. We all sin, but who's going to repent and who isn't? Or who's going to repent the worldly way and have God reject it? Who's going to repent the godly way and have God forgive them? Peter becomes a great apostle, a pillar in the church at Jerusalem, writes epistles, Judas is in hell. Turn with me to Psalm 41. Let's look at some prophecies. Psalm 41, verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Jesus quoted Psalm 41.9 in John chapter 13. I don't have time to take you there, or we won't get as far as we should, as being fulfilled in Judas Iscariot betraying him. Prophesied by David for his son Jesus. Yea, mine own familiar friend, Judas companied with Jesus for three and a half years, in whom I trusted, gave him the gifts of the Holy Ghost to go and preach his gospel, which did eat of my bread, He partook of the gifts that were given to the apostles. Judas never earned a penny of them, hardly, because if it hadn't been for power given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, he'd have been unable to preach or heal. Hath lifted up his heel against me. And he did literally eat of his bread, didn't he, when Jesus took a sop, dipped it, and handed it to Judas Iscariot as the sign, the one that I hand this to is the one that's going to betray me. Jesus knew this all along. I wonder what Jesus thought as a 17-year-old in the synagogue at Nazareth when Psalm 41 was read. Now we know what he thought about Isaiah 61 and other passages because he stood up and said, This day are these scriptures fulfilled in your midst. At 17, he was 13 years away from making this man his familiar friend. I want you to think today as we go to the Lord's table of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you and me. And do you know what makes it all the more special? If it wasn't for the grace of God, there go we. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you have enough of a Judas principle in you that you would do everything Judas did and more. But he died to save us and he's forgiven us and he's put a new heart in us and he's taken away our old heart. Let us love him. With our new hearts. Look at Psalm 69. Psalm 69. See verse 9? I want you to know that this psalm is about Jesus Christ. 
Verse 9, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. When was that verse fulfilled? John chapter 2. When Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. I read it to you last week. That verse was fulfilled. God the Holy Spirit gave the apostles understanding as they watched Jesus in his cleansing of the temple to remember that passage and realize it was being fulfilled before their eyes. Look at the verse before it. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Mary's other sons and daughters did not believe on Jesus Christ until after his resurrection. But we want verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. Did you remember well enough from Acts chapter 1 to know that this is part of Acts chapter 1 and verse 20? There's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ and a man that was going to do something against him here described under a plural pronoun because there were others involved as well. You say, who else? When it says, let their habitation be desolate, I want to suggest to you that after Jesus got done with the city of Jerusalem, there were a whole lot of Jews whose habitations were desolate. But we know that this specifically, we know that this applies in the, on the individual basis to Judas because Peter quoted it that way in Acts chapter 1 and verse 20. Turn to Psalm 109. Psalm 109 and verse 8. Let his days be few. Don't let him live out his life. Let his days be few and let another take his office. That's the bishop prick from Acts chapter 1 and verse 20. This is a prophecy of Judas Iscariot. Let another take his office. Matthias took the office of bishop, apostle, away from Judas, who gave it up by his suicide. Turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. This is one of those interesting apparent contradictions in the Bible that a third grader can usually figure out. Zechariah chapter 11. Do you remember as we were reading Matthew chapter 27, when it mentioned the 30 pieces of silver, it says, as it was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, meaning Jeremiah. Why am I turning you to the book of Zechariah to get something that was written by Jeremiah? Spoken. Verse 12, Zechariah 11:12. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it under the potter. A goodly price, that's irony and sarcasm, a goodly price that I was priced at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. There's a prophecy of Judas bringing the money back, throwing it to them, the value of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how it was done in the house of the Lord, and it bought a field. It was given to the potter for his field. But now it said in Matthew, this I'm chasing a short little one. In Matthew 27 it says, as it was spoken of Jeremy the prophet, but it was written down by Zechariah. There's no contradiction in your Bibles. 
Now they have contradictions in their Bibles in matters like this, like Mark chapter 1 and verse 2, where they say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, when it comes from Malachi chapter 3, but this said it was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. And if you, this is just a, as we turn, if you turn to chapter 1 of Zechariah, I just want to help you understand that Zechariah was considered a latter prophet because he came after the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah was considered a former prophet because he was before the Babylonian captivity. And Zechariah wrote down and warned the people and reminded the people about the things that the former prophets had prophesied. Zechariah 1.4, Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets, before the destruction of Jerusalem, have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. There's three of those statements made by Zechariah. One's here, two are in chapter 7. They show us that Zechariah's was writing down many of the things preached, spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. And so it says in Matthew 27, as it was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, a former prophet, but written down by a latter prophet, Zechariah, in his book. You follow? There's no contradiction there. There's just something that makes you happy. When you love God and trust His Word and you find these little things. You say, I wonder how many trip over that one. Because I like it just the way it is. Then you go to Zechariah and you find these statements about the latter prophets and the former prophets. Enough on that. Back to Judas because we want to go to Psalm 109. Psalm 109. For those of you who read this last night, did you find it rather graphic? And horrific? And personal? An individual, I am ashamed of some men that have gone before in the ministry in centuries past that because of the ferociousness of the vengeance in this chapter, they say it cannot reflect the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ or even of his father David. I totally deny them. That is ridiculous insanity. Whose heart do you think it reflects? This is exactly how Jesus Christ thought. Do you know what Jesus Christ did to those men that crucified him and their wives and their children? He told the women on the way up Calvary's hill, he said, don't be weeping for me because what's going on with me isn't all that bad. Weep for yourselves and weep for your children because the days are coming in the which are going to be horrible. He looked on the city of Jerusalem once and he said, because you didn't know the time of your visitation, enemies are going to come and hedge you in on every side and leave you flat with the ground, you and your children within you. Women were eating their children by the divine decree of Almighty God in Deuteronomy 28 and by the full approval of the Lord Jesus Christ for what they did to Him on the cross. And this is how Almighty God prophesied about Judas Iscariot. And this answers the question, because there are some, like Adam Clark, that I do respect on some points. The Methodist commentator of 300 years ago who puts Judas in heaven. Listen to these words. Verse 6 to verse 20. You can read the whole chapter. It's delightful. Psalm 109 and verse 6. It's appropriate. It's fitting. No wonder Psalm 2 says, kiss the son. Kiss the son. But not with a kiss of Judas. 
A kiss of humble loyalty and service and reverence and worship. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Set thou a wicked man over him. Set thou a wicked man over him. When Judas came back to the temple looking for some mercy, did he have a wicked man set over him? The high priests and the rulers of the Jews denied him any comfort whatsoever. You see to it. Let Satan stand at his right hand. Satan entered into Judas and activated him, motivated him, deceived him, and destroyed him. Let Satan stand at his right hand. The right hand is the position of power and the position of action. It is the executive office of a king at his right hand. Let Satan stand at his right hand. This is Almighty God prophesying of Judas Iscariot. I help you with the first verse. I read now through verse 20. This is my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He tramples his enemies under his feet until his white horse is washed red with their blood, and he calls for the fowls of heaven to come and eat their flesh. That is the picture that he wants us to have of his glory and power and his rightful throne. And we give him all the honor and glory due him. He is king forever, prince of the kings of the earth, lord of lords, king of kings, worthy of all our worship and praise, and he died for us. Psalm 109, verse 6, Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Peter used that verse in Acts chapter 1 and verse 20. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let the strangers spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him. Neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Because that he remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that is our Savior, that he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing, like as with his garment, so let it come into his bowels like water, and like oil into his bones. Let it be unto him as the garment which covereth him, and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let this be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord, and of them that speak evil against my soul. It was fulfilled particularly against Judas. It was fulfilled generally against all the Jews that took the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The terrible wrath of God on Judas Iscariot 
should remind us to humble ourselves and to hate anything in our lives that would make us an enemy of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.18-19, Paul said, I warned you with tears that there are many enemies of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ who are belly worshippers who mind earthly things. When you mind earthly things, you're a belly worshiper. When you're a belly worshiper, you're an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you love the world, you're the enemy of God. And we put ourselves in the line of this kind of judgment. Let us remember with fear and sobriety that there is repentance that God rejects and there is repentance that God accepts. And it's described for you in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, 11. Let's repent like Peter. Let's show with zeal that we do not want to walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's remember the ferocious vengeance of God against the whole nation of Israel for what they did to Jesus Christ, and so he destroyed them in 70 A.D. Let us pray that God would take strange children away from us that are like Judas Iscariot, who are belly worshippers. And do not love the Son of God. Let's consider Judas's betrayal as something Jesus dealt with his whole life, especially the three and a half years of his ministry, that every bit of contact he had with him, every time they touched, every time they embraced, every time there was a kiss, every time there was a meal, every time Jesus heard Psalm 41 read, Psalm 69 read, Psalm 109 read, and the disciples would ask, Who is this speaking about? What is this prophecy about? And Jesus knew every detail of Judas Iscariot. Judas might have asked, and Jesus knew. But Jesus did it, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And do you know what else needed to be fulfilled? That he died for us, that we could live forever with him. Let's be the friends that Judas didn't give him. Let's be the companion of the Lord Jesus Christ that loves him and loves to anoint his feet. We don't have his feet here today, nor do we have anointment. But do you know what he's told me about that? This is how he wants to be remembered. This becomes the spikenard. This becomes his feet. This is how we remember him and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Mary did it with a pound of spikenard, very costly. We do it with this simple Supper. But we do it with a heart and a mind fully engaged in love to the Lord Jesus Christ and thanksgiving for Him forgiving all our sins. Peter spent the rest of his life in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ and gladly was crucified upside down lest he ever try to pretend that he was anything close to the Son of God. The Apostle Paul spent his life in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do that. And let us take this feast and remember it that way. We come to the Lord's table to remember his death. Let's rejoice that God has revealed that the things that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ were according to his will and that God did them for our redemption. And let us always be asking, if we find ourselves in sin, or let us be asking now as we examine ourselves as we come to the table, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Let's examine ourselves and confess all our sins. 
and adore the Lord Jesus Christ and remember his death till he comes.